Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Green Pile podcast. I'm Dan Crawford, the editor of Hammy End, and joining me are Alan and Freddie Druitt. Alan, how are you? I'm good, thank you, Daniel. How are you? Oh, Sunday naming me. I'm all right. Freddie, how are you doing, son? Good. Yeah. Are we looking forward to Crystal Palace tomorrow, Freddie? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Excellent. I'm glad there's some enthusiasm uh, <laughs> there. Right. Um, and a really broad question to begin with. We've got seven. We, we, we've managed to pick up those uh, seven points, haven't we? How pleased are you with where we are? Because that last game against Luton, we got the three points, but we made very heavy weather of beating Luton, I thought. We did. We just lacked that bit of quality going forward, especially in the first half. We just didn't look as threatening as I'd like us to be. But Jimenez is still learning the way we play. He's still obviously low in confidence. I think it's 20, 28 games now he's gone without scoring a goal in a Premier League. I could be wrong, but I don't think it's too far off that number. So, you know, Luton came, they sat back, they had a game plan, and I thought they, they performed really well. So I think it's more of a case of giving them credit. Uh, but most importantly, Vinicius came on, he got the goal, and I'm hoping he starts tomorrow. Right, yeah. So that was going to be my next question. It's like you're reading my mind. <laughs> uh, Raul, it's not that difficult Raul Jimenez has gone 28 league games without a goal sorry my colleagues just held up a piece uh, wrote me a note that says you have a one track mind Crawford we won't <laughs> down that uh, particular tangent Raul Jimenez has gone 28 league games without a goal and has never scored against Crystal Palace in seven appearances by contrast Carlos Vinicius has four goals and an assist in his past six Premier League games, including the winner against Luton that you just referenced. And that's the big question, I think. Marco Silva's been quite diplomatic about it. I didn't think Jimenez played badly. He was just unlucky that the only real chance there was in the six-yard box fell to a centre-forward three minutes after he'd been replaced. But I do think we don't have that natural replacement for Mitrovic, if there is such a thing. And it's likely to be that we're going to muddle through to January with all three of those strikers playing some sort of role um, in the games that we've got, depending on the opposition. But you'd go Carlito at Crystal Palace, wouldn't you? I would. I think he's he's more familiar to the way we play. He's in a good run of form. As you said, four and six and an assist. I, I just feel a bit more comfortable and a bit at ease knowing that he's he's starting. But saying that, my manager's a, a Crystal Palace fan and he seems to think that players break records when they play them. So tomorrow may not be the worst idea to play Jimenez to break both ducks. Um, you know, put to bed the 28 games he hasn't scored in previously and the fact he's now scored against Palace. But he he's clearly a confidence player. I think if he can get one, he could then go and score abundance in a, a short run of games. I just want, yeah. yeah, mate. Yeah, sorry, I just want us to. I just want to see us more attacking uh, tomorrow than we was against Luton. I think we're going to have more of the ball again than Palace will. So it's just whether we can find those opportunities and allow the likes of William 
Andreas to, to come into the game a bit more and it'd be nice to get three points tomorrow. Freddie, do you think we should start Benicius or shall we stick with Jimenez? First half, Jimenez and second half, Benicius, I think. Oh, so you'd start with Jimenez and then swap at half-time and bring on Benicius. What he's saying is once Jimenez has scored a hat-trick at half-time, we can take him off, right? <laughs> yeah, you can keep the match ball. <laughs> <laughs> Um, start with Dan. Yeah, well, I mean, we, we've we've sorted it. We don't need to worry about tomorrow anymore. Um, the <laughs> point the point I was making initially. Uh, so this is an interesting. I know you like your stats, Al, and if you don't, you can just be quiet. <laughs> I do. Can reach double figures in terms of points after six games of a Premier League season, but only the third time, and the first in twenty years. And that was uh, the Chris Coleman uh, season. And this is the point I was making. We've got seven points from five games. And I think we had eight. I was going to say at this time last season, the scheduling was all over the place, but after five games. And given the calibre of teams we played so far, and more importantly, some of the decisions, you've got to be pretty pleased with seven points from five, no? Absolutely. I think you look at those first first run of fixtures and you go, well, you know, we've spoke about it on here before. Everton, you'd like a win, but you take a draw. You beat Brentford. It's not how it worked out. But we got an unexpected point at the Emirates and we played the two toughest games of the season back-to-back already. Where I feel if we weren't robbed of that decision at half-time at Man City, yes, we probably still would have lost, but it wouldn't have been as as much of a hide-in as it ended up to be. We then come back after the international break, beat Luton, as to be expected. And now tomorrow's another real test. I think tomorrow will show us where we are. I think it's going to be a good pinpoint to what we can expect, at least up until January anyway. Because Palace are a good Premier League side. They have been for the last 12, 13 years now. And if we can go there and win, it's another statement. And I think now, at this point of the season, we need to start making statement wins. And I think tomorrow will be a good time to start. Yeah, so let's talk about um, Crystal Palace and two people who Fulham fans obviously know well, starting with Roy Hodgson. What can we say about Roy Hodgson now that hasn't already been said? I mean, great to see him uh, able to take training this week and and back in the dugout. you know, just take the next two minutes to wax lyrical about Roy Hodgson or longer, if you if you want. Because I don't know about you, but I find it very special that there's a manager. He was obviously born in Croydon and he 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 started at Crystal Palace as a player, but he has a deep affection for Fulham, and he 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 achieved things at Fulham that you know we were just. I don't know what you were thinking. When we appointed Roy Hodgson, like most people thought we were down. And yeah. the remarkable thing about it is saving us in that great escape is not the most incredible thing that happened. I mean, it just got more more extraordinary from there, didn't it? It did. And I don't think there's enough perlatives to be able to to sum up Roy Hodgson in, in 40 minutes, let alone two minutes. But it's good to see him back on his feet. 
I'm not exactly sure what the illness was that he fell down with before the Villa game on the weekend, but thankfully he's okay. Thankfully he'll be there on Saturday and he's no doubt going to get a good reception. But the one, the one image that sticks in my mind when you think of Roy Hodgson is that game at Portsmouth when Danny Murphy scores the header. The camera then pans to him straight after and he's the only person that's involved in a club that's just sitting there without a reaction. And it just goes to show that he was cool, he was calm, he was collective on the outside. I'm not sure what he was feeling on the inside, but it just summed up Roy Hodgson. He kept us up and it was a miracle. I think I'm not going to be the only one that thought it wasn't a very good appointment at the time. I would happily admit it was the probably the best decision that our fired ever made, and he made a fair few of them. So to see us survive relegation, finish seventh, and then reach the uh, Europa League final in consecutive seasons, it's a fairy tale, Dan. And if someone would have said to you when Laurie Sanchez got sacked that in two and a half years' time, this is what you're going to witness supporting Fulham, you, you'd, you'd have laughed at them, wouldn't you? Well, it's funny um, you should say that because our good friend Nick Byland messaged me first of all when Sanchez got sacked, saying, "I hope you're drinking, I hope you're celebrating and drinking heavily." Um, <laughs> and I was actually in a lecture at the time. Now the two are not mutually um, exclusive. Uh, I could have been doing both, but I wasn't. Um, and then when Fulham appointed Roy Hodgson, because it came from nowhere, I think everyone was expecting John Collins to get the job because yeah. he just yeah. resigned um, from Park. I can't remember where it was. I think it was Hibs, wouldn't it? Hibs. I always get, why, why have I got that wrong? Yeah. Be careful now. <laughs> Edinburgh, the Edinburgh listeners to this podcast were going absolutely incensed. Mental at you. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, Nick then messaged me saying, we've got a great appointment here. Um, and if you go back far enough in the Hammy End archives, he, he lays it out because Hodgson was well known in continental football, but he was regarded in England as a failure because he essentially failed to back up Kenny Dalglish's great work at Blackburn and paid for it with his job in 1997, I think. Um, mm. And, you know, everyone sort of thought he was a bit past it then, never mind like now. And obviously, the two things that most football fans know about Roy Hodgson, English football fans, are failed at Liverpool and got England knocked out by Iceland. But obviously, we know different. Um, I'll, we'll talk about Ray Lewington in a second, because I think he's worthy of uh, some comment. I just wanted to put this one into the mix. Fulham have never beaten a team managed by Roy Hodgson. Eight games. Five defeats and three, sorry, five draws and three defeats. And Fulham's last only victory in seven previous top flight wins was that one on Boxing Day last year um, that you'll, you'll remember well. Um, when Roy Hodgson and Marco Silva had a bit of a love in um, mm. after the game on the, on the TV coverage. Yeah, you're absolutely spot on about Roy. Um, I've got a lot of time for him. Um, uh, as I think every Fulham fan has. And it was lovely, the reception he got from both sets of fans at the end of last season, I think when we thought possibly it was Roy Hodgson's farewell 
um, to uh, so maybe to us and and maybe to Palace as well. One of his last games, but he's still there and he's doing really well at Palace. He's assisted by Ray Lewington, who's done it all at Fulham, uh, three times a manager, a couple of caretaker spells, including after Laurie Sanchez got sacked and we got absolutely hammered at White Hart Lane, I seem to remember. And that convinced um, Mohamed Al-Fayed and, and the Fulham board at that time that they needed to find somebody fast. Um, but he, Ray was also a player of, who made many, many appearances, 250 in the league alone. Um, and he was crucial, if you listen to any of the Europa League uh, team about um, talking about Ray Lewington, he, he was crucial as well because he saw Fulham through some really dark times, Al. He did. Um, and wherever Hodgson's gone recently, he's taken Lewington with him. Um, they're, they're both Fulham legends. They both go down in Fulham folklore and it's always a, a pleasure coming up against them as a fan looking, you know, I'll be there with a boy tomorrow. Me and Freddie will be there. Um, and unfortunately he's a little bit too young to, he was, he wasn't born when Hodgson was managing, managing us, but I still tell him about about five at that point as well. Well, this is it. And it just goes to show it only feels like yesterday that Hodgson was managing us. And it was what, 13, 14 years ago now. Scary, isn't it? Um, Yeah, it's really scary, but, if we if we're gonna lose if we lose to one team throughout the season and you could pick one team, it'd be a team managed by Hodgson. Uh, he's an absolute legend and he will get a good reception tomorrow from our lot and when he comes back to the cottage towards the end of the season. Yeah, so um if Palace did beat us, they'd equal their highest points tally after six games of a Premier League season. Uh, they had 10 points after six games in 2016-17. And Alan Pardew, who's now admitted that he is a Fulham fan. Um, yes. I saw. It's always been sort of shrouded in, uh, in you know, which of the... Uh, well, there's only one team in Fulham, so he obviously is a Fulham fan. And <laughs> they got uh, 10 points in 2020-21 under Hodgson. So he could equal his own record. Um, so... I'm not really sure what to make of Palace. They're, they're just above us on goal difference. Um, they've won only four of their past 32 top-flight London derbies. We've got a terrible record in London derbies as well. Uh, their last 12 League and Cup goals were scored in the second half, including all 10 this season. Um, Odson Edward has scored four of Palace's six league goals. Uh, having only scored five in the whole of the uh, 2022-23 season. Um, but they've made uh, Selhurst Park a bit of a fortress, 14 points from seven home games since Hodgson came back to the club in April. You said earlier Palace would have more of the ball, Al. Oh, sorry, we'd have more of the ball than, than Palace. They're just going to be really well organised and they've adjusted really well to not having Wilfred Zahar. It's not going to be easy tomorrow. No, it, it won't be easy. And I don't you're never going to get an easy game coming up against a Hodgson team. I do admire Crystal Palace a little bit because they don't have the biggest of budgets. They don't they've never overspent. They do generally sell or get rid of players more than they bring in. So the fact that they're still a Premier League team consistently over 12, 13 years reminds them a bit of us <clears throat> under Ralph Fired. Um 
look, we know what we're going to get tomorrow. So if we can, I think we've just got to be patient. I think that's probably the best word we can use for tomorrow is be patient. The chances will come. And when they do come, we need to put them away. Uh, and hopefully we can improve our London record and make it two wins out of the last what, 18. It'll be after tomorrow's game. But yeah, we have we have to be confident because there's not a lot between the two teams. And I think come May, it will prove that both teams will be in and around each other. And hopefully we're just above them. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Um, I did want to just touch on one other sort of Fulham link here, which is Joachim Anderson. Obviously, he played for Fulham in a period where mostly the fans weren't in the ground. Um, but I thought he had a really good season for Fulham and I was really disappointed that, you know, us, Palace were the beneficiaries of us going down and therefore not being able to match Anderson's ambition. Uh, Mark Gay is fit. Uh, for Palace, so it'll probably be Anderson and Gay, which is uh, a formidable um, central defensive partnership. Just a word on Joa uh, from his time at <laughs> Fulham and, uh, and what you thought of him as a as a centre back. He was phenomenal um, for us, and uh, to be fair, I'm I'm surprised he went to Palace because he was linked with Tottenham when he towards his, the end the end of his time. With us. Um, and to be honest. Palace fans love him. We, we we take him back in a heartbeat. He's just got something about him. He he's not afraid to to put his head in, his foot in. He's happy to play a long diagonal pass. He acts as another playmaker for for them, like he did for us at times. Mm. But as, whoever plays up front tomorrow, whether that's Vinicius or Jimenez, they're going to be in for a tough battle for ninety minutes or however long they're on the pitch. But yeah, he was brilliant for us. And for me, Hangland was the best centre-back I've ever seen in a Fulham shirt. Anderson is is a second. Um, during Apolog- that season... Apologies to Aaron Hughes, if I might say. Aaron Hughes was brilliant. He was fantastic. But for me, Anderson just... He probably had a bit more to his game. And he, I think done, but he didn't get to a European final with Fulham. So there no, is that no- is true. And, and that's no disrespect to Hughes. It, it isn't. It's just, I think with the Hangeland-Hughes partnership, Hangeland stood out a bit more than Hughes. Hughes did the dirty work. He cleared up everything. Uh, brilliant, brilliant defender. I just think Anderson just had that little bit more about him. Look, he yeah, was only there for a season, so it's hard to sort of compare him. And I'm not playing I'm not playing down Aaron Hughes's credentials or what he did for us in the Fulham show because he was phenomenal. Yeah. I just think Anderson was just that little bit better in terms of quality. Fair enough. Right, let's um skip it on to what you what you pick because uh Anthony Robinson is available. Um yep. to play having missed last week. I thought Castagna was very good. Uh he was. We no Tosin or Lukic in the middle of our pitch. Um so what are you gonna go for? I'm interested with this because uh there's a couple of You've solved one of the conundrums already, but there's a couple more. What would you? Let's start with you, Al, and then we'll ask Freddie what his team would be. All right, I'll go first. So, Leno, Tete, Diop, Ream, Robinson, the goat, um, with Reed beside him. Then I'd go William, Andreas, Wilson, and I'd go Vinicius up top. Okay. 
Freddie, what are you Freddy? trying? Um,
you know, until he, until he lets go of it. Obviously, Tosin being out for six weeks now, having had that groin surgery. Yeah. Uh, that, that's a bit of a blow. Um, so in, in terms of depth, but yeah, uh, I, I thought, um, the upper marine apart from what so so the the interesting thing about that of course was i mentioned this on the uh the review podcast with oscar um he said the made the most passes of any player successful passes of any premier league player this season although opta counts that pass to burnt leno in the second half as a successful pass you know the one i mean uh, he overhit a back pass and it nearly went over Leno. Must have been, ah, uh, yes, or, or yes, caused Leno a moment of problem. Discomfort, um, yeah, I remember it now. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm not sure that is a successful pass, but computer says yes in that case. Um, and also, uh, we've we since the start of last season, Fulham have kept seven away league clean sheets. Which is the second highest? Third highest, isn't it? So it's joint with Manchester City. It's mm. Arsenal with twelve, Manchester City with seven, and then Fulham with seven. And you know, you were saying we we need to be a bit more creative, and you know, all things being equal, you'd want that to be the case. I mean, I don't mind a few little one nil wins. You know, if we're they're gonna... more satisfying, aren't they? Yeah, I love one of those where you absolutely, your back's to the wall, team absolutely, basically like Goodison Park, you scab a 1-0 win. It's yeah. not to be sniffed at. And speaking of which, it's prediction time. We've been doing, well, I've been doing dreadfully with my predictions. So I'm going to let Freddie go first. Freddie, what is your score prediction for the match tomorrow at Selhurst Park, please? 3-1 for them. Wow. Okay. Wow. He's confident. Al, what are you saying? My heart's saying one thing, my head's saying another. Uh, Given what you think I, sometimes, I might go with the heart. The heart? Okay, I'm going to go 2-1 uh, Fulham. Okay. But my head was saying 1-1. One, one. Yeah, well, that's what I was... That's what I've got. I've written it down already. And once I've written it down, I can't change. I, I just think Roy Hodgson knows what we're going to do and he'll be good enough to set up his Palace team and, and I, I can see them scoring. Um, they're, they're, see, just, they're just better organised than they were under Patrick Vieira and they're much more attacking than than the Hodgson teams of old. You know, they've, they've got a bit about them with with Eze and Elise and um, Jordan Iron. The one area of weakness that I see in their team is their wing-backs. Now, Tyreek Mitchell, I don't rate at all. I think I have an absolute blinder now you've said that. I, of course he will. Uh, it's just a shame that Traore isn't fit because he would have been nailed on for me to start tomorrow because he would have bullied him for 90 minutes. Um, but I think if we are going to score, it's going to come from, from Wilson at some point, whether it's a goal or an assist. I think if we play the ball down a right, we'll get... We'll get a lot more success than okay. trying to play through the middle. Because there's a star man running down the right. I nearly sung it, but no one. Needs oh, to. Go on, Dan. Give it. Give us a. Give us a verse. Uh, no one needs to listen to that. <laughs> um, right. Let's uh, do some wrapping up with um, the other th- the other elements of uh, Fulham 
football club that you can catch up on uh, this weekend. Uh, the under-18s who have um, ha- had a really good start to the season, they're playing Crystal Palace as well uh, on Saturday. That's at Mottsburg Park at 11am. Good luck to Ali Millil's under-18s in, in that game. The under-21s who've been sort of dominating uh, everybody, even in the AFL Trophy, they've had some some good results, although... Um, uh, not able to win penalty shootouts, which is not unusual. Uh, they play West Bromwich Albion on Monday at uh, West Bromwich Albion's training ground at Keys Park. Um, and Fulham's women, who've won three in a row, take on Millwall Lionesses on Sunday afternoon at Motspur Park. It's a 2.30 kickoff. Uh, Fulham women going really, really, really well um, for Steve Jay after a after a sticky start, um, get along to Mosby Park if you can on Sunday. There's all sorts of uh, things going on. Um, and so the tickets are £5 for adults, uh, £1 for juniors, and there's uh, face painting for the kids. And what I would say is the Fulham women's team are excellent at um, making it a memorable day for all the supporters. So um, if you want to get a picture or have a chat or bring your young daughter or son to to meet some Fulham players. It's a great experience. Um, I'm not on commission. I, I do need to, to clarify that, Al. Um, <laughs> now, I need to um, finish the podcast, uh, obviously, with some, some sad news. Uh, Maddie Cusack, the Sheffield United uh, midfielder, who also played for Burnley, Aston Villa, Birmingham City, and was in England... Youth International passed away yesterday at the age of 27. Um, Maddie was someone who was well known within women's and men's football. She was a massive Sheffield United supporter. Um, but the surname rather gives it away. Maddie is related to uh, Nick Cusack, obviously a hero of the 1996-1997 uh, third division promotion winning team. Uh, I knew Maddie not as well as uh, everyone who played with her um, but she was a phenomenal woman. She worked in the uh, media and then marketing department at Sheffield United. She took her role as inspiring the next generation of female footballers uh, really seriously and I promised um, her friends that I'd get through this bit without um, getting emotional. Um, So I, I just wanted to say and I'm sure uh, everyone uh, in the Fulham uh, family and indeed in the football family would want to send their best wishes to um, the Cusack family. Uh, Maddie's brother Richard is a is a journalist and, and a colleague of mine um, previously. Um, it's so sad that she had so much life uh, to live and the rest of us will have to try and live up to her wonderful example. So um, we do need to uh, pay tribute to Maddie and, and pass on our best wishes to uh, the Cusack family. There's one more as well, Al, if I can just find it, because tomorrow the uh, Crystal, Crystal Palace are paying tribute to supporters who passed away. And I did have a message um, about that. And I can't find it now. Through to our 
Twitter account, wasn't it? Yeah, but I can't find it now. Um, what we can do is we can just put it on the uh, the link. We, we, we will. I'll add it into the show notes. But uh, oh, here it is. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, I've got it now. So um, this, it's a message from uh, the from Crystal Palace fans, uh, a man by the name of Clint Tucky has been very brave in writing this. On the 9th of June, 2023, my nephew, Josh Bashford, aged 33, and his wife, Chloe Bashford, aged 30, were murdered in their own home in New Haven in Sussex, leaving four children aged between four and 16. Josh was a lifelong Palace fan and attended many games with myself and my son. Um, Crystal Palace have donated tickets for Josh's family to attend the home game against Fulham uh, tomorrow. Josh's family are leading a round of applause in the 33rd minute in remembrance of Josh. Uh, Crystal Palace, at the start of the 33rd minute, will put a photo of Josh on the big screen. Um, It's got a lot of play in the Palace um, community. And I know that all Fulham fans would wish to join in with that applause and make sure that uh, the Bashford family um, remember Josh and Chloe. Um, in a way that is fitting for their uh, lives and uh, Josh's phenomenal support of Crystal Palace. We're both uh, family clubs and and no one should have to go through that um, horrible uh, incident. So if you're going tomorrow, um, please join in with that applause and and be loud and be proud and and, and make sure that... uh, we uphold the finest traditions of Fulham Football Club in, in joining in that that initiative for Josh and Chloe Bashford. Right, Al, any other business? Anything you want to finish on since I've just talked for a long time? No, I think you've um, you've summed things up perfectly there, Dan, and you certainly gave both families of everyone you just mentioned justice there. So, well done. Thanks, mate. Uh, Freddie, you're looking forward to this game tomorrow. You're going with with Al, aren't you, to the match? Yes. It's the first time he's going to take the trip down to Selhurst. Um, I think one of the last times I went there was to watch Wimbledon and Fulham. Oh, really? It's what, been, you've not been it's going? Been a while since I've, it's been well, a while since I've been down to Selhurst. So, uh, well done yeah, for dragging just... the old man out of the house long enough to get him there. Um, I'm doing them all again now. He's he's old enough to do away games, so uh, sure unfortunately, people will be seeing a lot more of me. As we saw him, <laughs> at, uh, we saw him celebrating at uh, at the Emirates. So he's obviously going to be celebrating more tomorrow. We hope so, uh, but obviously, of course, it is Fulham, so we might not always um, do uh, what a great football team does. But we're lucky to be to follow uh, London's oldest professional football club. Uh, thanks to Alan and to Freddie. And to you all for listening and supporting both the Green Pile podcast and Hammy End. We'll be back on this podcast with a review of events at Selhurst Park. Uh, And for now, thanks very much. And come on, you whites.